We've heard the word of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing that God speaks to us and we get to hear him. That happens as we receive what he has to say in his written word, the Bible. It's a no less wonderful thing that we then get to speak to God and he gets to hear us. That happens as we respond to him in prayer, receiving and responding. The Christian life is lived out in this continuous exchange. So how helpful it is then to be looking afresh over these summer Sundays at prayer. Jesus is our teacher, but not simply because he's good at prayer. We haven't found in Jesus a guru offering to us his top tips. Jesus is our teacher because in a profound way, he alone enables us to pray. Jesus is the gate, giving us access to that which he alone can give access, the listening ear of his Father in heaven. And that's why all our prayers are to be made in Jesus' name, never our own. The invitation of this sermon series is for us to become those who pray like Jesus. His prayers becoming our prayers, even as our prayers become his. When we pray, Jesus' heart becoming our heart, Jesus' priorities, our priorities. So prayer for the Christian will be a deeply formative and transformative thing. As we were seeing two Sundays ago, Jesus has given us his blueprint for prayer in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And it's good that most Sundays, uh, this included, uh, we've given, we're given a reminder of Jesus' priorities as we pray these words together. Included is this petition. Your kingdom come. And sat where that is within Jesus' teaching. This focus is given a high priority. But what are we asking there? Your kingdom come. Here in Matthew chapters 9 and 10, we get to see that unpacked. There are two questions it'll be good for us to address. What is the kingdom? And how does this kingdom come? The verses we've just heard read helpfully answer both. So firstly, what is the kingdom? Verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. The good news is that The kingdom of heaven has come near. That message was first proclaimed by John the Baptist before being taken up by Jesus and soon it will be on the lips of his disciples. Chapter 10, verse 7. 
But what is meant by the kingdom having come near? Enough has already taken place in the preceding chapters of Matthew's gospel to make clear that in Jesus Christ himself, the kingdom has come near. Where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. As he teaches, proclaims, and heals, there is the kingdom breaking in. How so? Well, you can't have a kingdom without a king. But Jesus is the king. And where there is a king, you can expect to see his kingdom rule. Also, enough has already taken place in the preceding chapters of Matthew to tell us this, that the kingdom that has come near in and with King Jesus is not a conventional one. The kingdom of heaven is a welcome contrast to the kingdoms of earth. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Surely a king shouldn't concern himself with the crowds. Surely it's beneath him to connect with commoners in their suffering. But Jesus has compassion on them. In the previous chapter, a man with leprosy knelt before him. Be clean, says Jesus. And by his authority, the man is cleansed. A Roman centurion then came to Jesus and pleaded with him to heal his paralyzed servant. Jesus said, go. And by his authority, that servant was healed. Then two demon-possessed men came to meet him. Again, Jesus says, go. And by his authority, the demons are gone. Next, there was a paralyzed man brought to Jesus by some friends lying on a mat. Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And by his authority, they were. Then, get up and go. And by his authority... The man did. But the stakes become ever higher. A synagogue ruler whose daughter has just died comes to Jesus and asks him to raise her from the dead. And again, by his authority, which knows no bounds, Jesus reaches down into death and pulls that little girl back out. Not before this woman, subject to continuous internal bleeding, has pushed through the crowd. Take heart, says Jesus. And by his authority, she is healed in that moment. Next, Jesus is touching the eyes of two blind men. And by his authority, their sight is restored. These are just some just some of those in the crowds who Jesus saw were harassed and helpless and had compassion upon. The common factor in the lives of these women and men 
who came to him was their faith. A tentative belief that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And a glimpse of recognition that this could make every difference to them in their helplessness. Given their extreme circumstances, we understand why Jesus sees them as helpless there in verse 36. But why does he also consider them to be harassed? Well, not everyone in those crowds was looking to Jesus in faith. Among them were the Pharisees, the religious leaders there in Israel who were were resolute in their unbelief and quick to undermine the good that Jesus was doing there among the sufferers. Jesus will say of these a little later in chapter 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Closing the door, not entering, not letting others enter. Something has gone terribly wrong with the religious leaders of that day. See how Jesus summarizes the situation there in verse 36. The crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. That's no throwaway comment. And this is no recent development. The prophet Ezekiel delivered this diagnosis to Israel's leaders six centuries earlier. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak, or healed those who are ill, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. But... Here's the good news, verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. What does it mean for Jesus, the sovereign Lord, to be with his harassed and helpless people. Surely a king shouldn't concern himself with the crowds. Surely it's beneath him to connect with commoners in their suffering. We'll never make sense of Jesus' kingship unless we come to recognize that his kingship is being exercised as a shepherd in the mold the prophets set. That's what a truly royal king looks like in the kingdom of heaven. A shepherd. Furthermore, we'll never make sense 
of our own need to have Jesus as our king until we come to accept that we here in this great crowd of humanity are all like sheep. The thing about shepherds and sheep is this. The sheep don't just need the good things that shepherd does for them and gives them some of the time. That is when they find themselves particularly harassed and helpless. No, the sheep, what they most need is the shepherd himself. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. Because without him, they are always helpless. What did Jesus see as he surveyed those crowds? Yes, he saw their suffering and weakness. And he attends to them in that. But Jesus also saw what we so easily overlook. Our deepest ailment is that we are sheep without a shepherd. And it's this that deeply stirs Jesus' compassion and moves him towards us. Jesus has come near to bring back the strays. He has come to be their shepherd king. Only in coming to know Jesus in this way do sinners and sufferers find the release and rest we all need. You and I included. If all of this speaks to what the kingdom is, secondly, how does this kingdom come? Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. We said that where Jesus is, there is the kingdom. As Jesus teaches, proclaims, and heals, there is the kingdom breaking in. It's very personal. Perhaps, perhaps when we've prayed, your kingdom come, we've imagined that this is always going to happen elsewhere by some extraordinary means, skirting around or overriding any relational hard work. We often don't imagine, could never imagine, that this could involve us and indeed be brought about in our everyday actions towards other people. Well, the really extraordinary thing about the way the kingdom now comes is seen in what Jesus sets in place here. Only Jesus has the authority to cleanse and forgive, to restore and release in the ways we see him doing in these chapters. And Jesus never delegates his authority. 
but he does enable others to serve with his authority, beginning with his 12 disciples. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. That is, they are to go about doing what Jesus himself is doing. This is a multiplication of Jesus' own ministry, not these disciples beginning their own. Freely you received, freely give. It is out of the plenty that Jesus has first given them that these 12 are now to give to others. After all, you can't pass on to others that which you haven't first received yourself. This is how the kingdom comes. King Jesus calls and sends. His kingdom most ordinarily advances with authority from person to person in a deeply personal way. Really? It is true that the measure of authority Jesus gives to those first 12 matches their unique calling as his apostles, a calling never to be repeated. But Jesus' calling and sending doesn't end with them. These 12 are themselves to be praying for the Lord to send out more workers. Verse 38. It's also true that the reach of the authority Jesus gives to those first 12 here extends no further than the lost sheep of Israel. But there's a resurrection coming. In the light of that, as we see at the end of Matthew, Jesus will charge these first disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. They will never be able to let up on praying for the Lord to send out more workers because the need is only going to grow and grow and grow. But look again at verse 6. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. This mention again of sheep reminds us of what forever remains at the heart of this calling. If Jesus exercises his kingship as a shepherd then those called and sent by him will themselves serve as under-shepherds. They will search for the strays and bring back the lost. They will strengthen the weak and heal the sick and bind up those who are injured. Today, 
we're presented with so many conflicting models of what a leader in the church could be. But one model has been given to us of how every worker and leader should be. Weirdos who say or sing, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Let me introduce you. With all this in mind, as we come to pray, your kingdom come. We won't get very far in that prayer before we also find ourselves needing to pray as Jesus instructs. Verse 37. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If a dense crowd can be viewed as a field of swaying crops, there were around Jesus those ripe for the harvesting, those willing to receive the cleansing and forgiveness, the release and restoration that Jesus freely gives. They're there in any crowd. So as we look out at the harassed and helpless billions in our world, one of the most compassionate things we can do is ask the Lord to send out more workers into it. This summer, it's been such an encouragement for us as a church to to see Jesus send out three new mission partners and their families. As we uh, look out at the harassed and helpless millions in London, in a few minutes, at the end of this service, each of us is going to be sent back out into this city. But one of the most compassionate things we can do for this great city is ask the Lord to send more workers out into it. But we needn't only look out. In a church the size of all souls, we need only to look around. What we most have in common, you and I, is that we too are harassed and helpless when we are without a shepherd. As we glance into the autumn, the serving needs here at All Souls are great. One of the most compassionate things we can do for one another is pray that the Lord will send more workers out into the life of this church. None of us need be sent very far to find kingdom work for us to do. It could, it could start as simply as turning to your neighbor. And it's very likely that it will. For the most part, those 
12 disciples probably didn't think that they would be the immediate answer to the prayer Jesus asks them to pray. After all, counting themselves among the harassed and helpless, what did they have to offer anyone else? Of their own authority, nothing at all. But by Jesus' authority, so much. Few of us who have been called and sent by Jesus would have set about his work by our own choosing. His calling only slowly dawned upon me. And for some here this morning, it may now be dawning upon you. For someone, it surely will. Because others have been praying. Amen.